And so we have with us, I'm going to take just a moment to introduce them so you know who they are. We have Paul and Priscilla Reed. Uh, they pastored a great church, actually started the same year Church of the Rock did in Belfast, North Ireland, in the midst of what they called the troubles, the conflict, uh, that war-torn city. And God blessed them and they grew this fantastic church called Christian Fellowship Church. It today has, has six different campuses throughout uh, Belfast region. And uh, Paul and Priscilla, way old than me and so so they they have they they have turned the church over and they travel the world and uh they're here and uh they're both of them fantastic speakers they're just a, a gift we're so thrilled to have them you're going to enjoy them now i just one little tiny warning is that they don't actually speak english uh they speak irish but it's so close to english i think you'll understand it and so ladies and gentlemen let's welcome to the stage paul reed <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Really appreciate that welcome. And it will take you a couple of minutes to get tuned to my, my voice. Actually, I, I felt sparked just to tell you a little story before I get started. It was, it was in connection with your, uh, uh, your healing course that's coming up. Uh, I had, I have some, about 15 years ago, my heart went into something called AFib. Ever heard of AFib? You know, a lot of people have it, uh, uh, and it was an irregular heartbeat. Uh, in my case, it was particularly debilitating, and it would go off for three days in a row. And, uh, and so, I mean, it just completely floored me. And I had a, a, the, the ablation, nothing worked, and uh, I, we were, I got prayed for it every meeting I went to. Uh, seriously, any, if I was speaking, not speaking, I'd say, could you pray for me? I went to Aberdeen in Scotland to preach one weekend, and I was speaking four meetings, and at the very first one, my heart went out of sync, and I had the most awful night. It was on a Saturday evening, a terrible night, and the next morning, I could only preach when I was sitting. Uh, and after the first service, I felt to so terrible. I thought, I'm going, to have to, I'm going to have to give up here. And an ordinary, uh, uh, when I say this, please, I'm not trying to be patronizing, but, you know, somebody who wasn't on staff or anything in the church just came up to me and said, could I pray for you? And I said, would you please? And he put his hand on my heart, and it immediately went back into regulation. Now, it self-regulates, so I understand that. Uh, and uh, so that afternoon, I phoned Priscilla. She was at home, and I told her what happened. And I said to her, but something different happened today. She said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know, but something different happened. And, and that, was in, that was the first Sunday in June 1916. I am old, but I'm not that old, okay? <laughs> 2016. And... From that day to this, I've never had another episode of AFib. God's still in the business of healing people. God's still in the business of healing people and using every member of the body of Christ. So please get yourself to that course. It'll really help you to equip you to do the work of ministry. Uh, my subject today is, I, I want to, so it's, it's a kind of a dopey one, but it's uh, things Christians need to know about people. Now, now this, this has been shaped by a couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, about uh, five or six years ago, Priscilla and I did something. We, we said, we, I want you to guess, we said we would never do. We said if we did it, we wouldn't like it. And we said we'd get sick. And it's only, uh, only old people do it. And as we're not old, we're not going to do it. Anybody guess what it was? Yeah, we went on a cruise. <laughs> and guess what? We loved it. It was amazing. Fantastic. 
Uh, and, and so what, what happens, when we go, whenever we go on holidays, you know, we, we like to spend the first 24 hours just, you know, together and all the rest of it. But after 24 hours, I need to meet somebody normal. <laughs> and so, uh, so I just go and talk to ordinary people. Uh, and, uh, and, and people talk, you know, just, just talk of a conversation with them. And, and so I, I met lots of people who at this point haven't come to Christ and they're not Christians. And so I began to talk to them and it sort of get, gave me a little different slant of things. The second thing that happened about a year ago is that I became the chaplain to my local soccer, professional soccer club in Belfast. And it's been the most wonderful thing. I have learned new words. It's been incredible. <laughs> But I've got an insight into the lives of people who don't know Jesus. And whenever you're a pastor for so many years, you know, you preach the gospel, you see people come to Christ in meetings, but you're largely cut off from people who don't know Christ. So sometimes we don't fully understand them. And I think sometimes when you've been an insider for so long, you forget what it's like to be an outsider. So I want to, I want to read uh, in Luke chapter 15, uh, verses 1 to uh, 10. And uh, Jesus uh, is speaking in a moment. He said, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open and go after the lost sheep till he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or, he says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. My first point, very simply, is this, that I discovered, based on our passage loosely, the sheep did not get lost on purpose. <laughs> there was not a planning committee of sheep, a breakout group, who decided that one night when the shepherd was asleep, they would break out over or under the wall. Get it? I, call, I say this, a sheep generally munched its way to lostness. It got its head down, started eating, and it got distracted, and it walked off somewhere and got itself lost. And honestly, most people, most people don't get lost on purpose. They get lost through preoccupation with life. They're living to survive. They're doing life. Their, 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 their job, uh, they're taking their kids to soccer and football and baseball. They're taking people to dancing. They're trying to stay healthy and just live life. Our world is very, very busy. They're not lost on purpose, but they're victims of the pace of life. And sometimes we assume things about people that are just not true. We assume they're living miserable and empty lives and are consciously running away from God. They're not. They're, they're not. Lots of them are having a load of fun. And honestly, they hardly ever think about God. In fact, they think we're weird for being here this morning. And so we've got to understand that most people don't do that. It's true of some people, but not all of them. They're not waiting for us to preach to them. 
And in our in our cruises, we 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 met a man. I met a man sitting in the pool one day, and we got talking. And he said, "I said, then what do you do for a living?" And he said, "Well, I was a doctor." And then he said to me, "What do you do?" And I said, "Well, I'm a pastor." And he said, "Oh, I'm the world's greatest atheist." And I said, "Well, I'll take that as a challenge then." So we started, we, we talked for a bit, and then, then we, we, split, we went somewhere else, and then, and then he came over to Priscilla. She was out, she was at the side of the pool, and, and uh, he said, I, I've just met your husband there, I understand you're, you're Christians, and, and he said, I'm, I'm the world's greatest atheist. And, and he said to her, well, how does that make you feel? And she said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, are you angry? Are you sad? Are you upset about it? And she said, she said no. I, she said, I'm a bit sad that if you don't open your heart to Jesus, you're never going to know the life that you should have and that God has for you. So he, he thought about it and walked away. Half an hour later, he came back and said, could we have, could we have dinner today, together tonight? We began the most incredible conversation that continues to this day through social media with that particular man. Please, it, do not assume, do not assume that people have consciously rejected God. They simply haven't thought about him. And here's the point. If they have not deliberately rejected him, then please, they may be open to another way. When somebody says they're an atheist to me, I generally say something like this. Well, t- and this is an Irish way of doing it, but uh, tell me, what's, uh, tell me the God that, t- describe to me the God that you've rejected. Because most people will have conjured up some notion of what God's like, and they go, no, I'm, I'm not going to do. And generally people go, oh, okay. And then they talk, about, they talk about God in certain ways. And at the end of it, I generally go, guess what? I don't believe in that God either. And I get an opportunity to tell them well, who Jesus really is. And, and, and what I've found over the years is this, that when you do that, when you do that, then you don't write them off. Don't assume they're close to the real thing. Why? Because most people don't get lost on purpose. Don't say a no on their behalf. Number two, the sheep got lost through the carelessness of someone else. The sheep got lost through the carelessness of someone else. It's interesting, there are two groups of people in this parable. There's, it, it says at the very start, there's the tax collectors, the sinners, and there's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. There's two groups of people. Generally speaking, they show up whenever Jesus is there. Actually, to show you how smart I am, they're called the, the, the Habarim and the Amhabarat. It's the peop, literally the people of the land and the righteous people. They were the insiders and the outsiders. And Jesus, in trying to explain to them something of his mission, he doesn't tell them direct. He tells them this story, but they're very clear. They know what, they know what it's about because at the end of it you see that they understand that he's talking to them and about their circumstances and, what, and, and again what you find in, in this particular passage is that he, as, he, as he, he talks about the, the shepherd the first don't forget the shepherd loses the sheep so the first person in the metaphor is a shepherd who's lost the sheep he's referring to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and what he's saying to them by story is this. You, you, were, you were supposed to look after these people, but you, your job was to do one thing, but you know something? You lost the sheep. Then the metaphor changes, and he becomes the good shepherd who goes after the sheep and lays down his life for it and carries that sheep home. And so what you find is this. They would not take responsibility. Uh, and some people never get to hear about Christ. Because no options were given to them. Either they were, they were restricted from hearing the gospel because their parents never went to church or, or maybe some people 
who did know Christ, didn't actually care enough about Jesus and about his message to take responsibility. It's interesting, in, in, the, uh, in, in languages, it's very different. Irish is a, a Mark joked about, about language there, about not speaking English. It's funny, in, in English, if you say, I dropped the watch, you say, I dropped the watch. In German, you say, I'm giving it to you in English, you know. It's the same thing, I dropped the watch. In Irish, it's interesting. If you drop a watch, you say, the watch fell from my hand. In other words, it wasn't my fault. But, but Semitic language is exactly the same. Middle Eastern language is the same. It doesn't take responsibility. So when the sheep got lost, it wasn't anybody's fault. I wouldn't like to think that the people that God has put me among, my friends, my relatives, the people that I work with, that it's anybody's responsibility but mine. That's why I love being a chaplain in a football club with these young men. They're, they're, they're just young guys. But you know something? Before God, I've said, Lord, I'm going to take responsibility for those young men. I'm go, I'm gonna, I am going to do my best to introduce them to Jesus Christ. I'm going to take responsibility. I've got a, a very good friend who's a Baptist pastor. He's retired, about the same age as me, 43. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and he, uh, he, he retired, and he went to preach in another Baptist church. He's not far from his home, and, uh, in a friend's church. And as he, as he was, uh, you know, at the start of the service, he looked at the back, and he saw his window cleaner. And he ran over to him, and he said, Hey, great to see you. What are you doing here? He said, Well, Freddie, you know something? He said, About three years ago, the, I cleaned the windows of the pastor of this church. And he began, one day he said to me, fancy a chat. I said, I got talking to him. And he invited me to an Alpha course in his church. Alpha course is a, is a course, that, a 10-week course in Christianity. I'll talk a wee bit more about it in a moment. And he said, I said yes. And I came along. And I gave my life to Christ. And he said, that's why I'm here today. And then he looked at my friends. Now, my friend tells us publicly, so I'm not shaming him. And he said, but Freddie... I cleaned your windows for years. Why did you never tell me about Jesus? Why did you never talk to me about this wonderful thing that, that God has given to me? Why did you not do that? My friend felt so bad about it. But I don't want to make you feel bad today, but I want to say this. Take responsibility for a few people. Pray for them every day. And when appropriate, when appropriate, tell them your story. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Number three, the sheep and the coin did not, did not know it was lost. Now, the coin obviously didn't. <laughs> but, you know, the sheep, you know, got its head down, munched its way out somewhere, and thinking it was safe, it was lost. And it's an interesting one. People today have no little or no consciousness of sin. Now, there's, there's guilt and there's shame and there's embarrassment and I'm not perfect. But the concept, the concept of, of a holy God 
who, because of our sin, are, we're separated, and it requires someone to make, make that, to make that bridge across, Jesus himself. People don't have that in their consciousness anymore. There's no sense of that. So when you talk to someone, and, and you, you, talk about, you talk about this separately, you go, listen, I don't get sin. What does it look like? What, 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 what's it about? So I would say, and certainly we find this in Ireland, and I don't want to make this prescriptive for you, but what we found is this, that, that Many years ago, including myself, we had, I had a Damascus Road experience, I call it. You know, there was a moment in my time when I came to Christ. It was, a, it was that moment that happened, and, and I'll never forget it. I remember it was the 27th of October, 1967. And it was incredible. Jesus changed my life. I find today that people actually begin to think about things and take a little bit more time because they have no consciousness of sin. We found it on, certainly on Alpha, the Alpha course, which is a 10-week expert of Christianity, we find, for, am I, I was a very, part of a very conservative denomination, and we used to want people to behave themselves, sort your life out, and if you believe what we believe, we might let you belong to our church. Jesus flipped it in his head. He got a group of men who belonged. He took them on a journey of believing, and he showed them how to become. Blank looks, I'll do that again, okay? <laughs> Behave, believe, belong. Jesus didn't do that. Got a group of people, and listen, you say, but yeah, but they all loved Jesus. No, they didn't. They all ran away at the end. One of them didn't make it as far as we know. Got this group of guys, and he said, come on, let's go on a three-year journey together. And he showed them how to believe. And as he was doing that, he showed them what, how to become, how to discover what God had created them for. I think my challenge actually today is this. You know, if every one of us in prayer and in practice took on three people in our hearts and minds said, we're going to pray for three people this year. We're going to take them on a journey. We're not going to go into the office tomorrow morning and go, you're going to hell, buddy. <laughs> that, do not do that, okay? It's not a good strategy. Take them on a journey. Pray for them. Show them what it is to become. Well, well, I'll give you an example. One of our, uh, one of, uh, young girl came to our church, got saved, and you know, was, was, met her husband, all the rest of it in her church, and her dad was really upset that she'd, she'd come and become a Christian. So he said one day, he said, I'm going to go to that church and find out what it's all about. So he came to an Alpha course. Alpha is a, is, is a I know you guys have been doing it, but it's, it's food, uh, a short talk, and a discussion on Christianity. And it lasts sometimes seven weeks, sometimes 10 weeks. After the second week, George says, his name was George. George said to me, um, Paul, at last I found a group of people to whom I feel, I belong, actually used the word, I belong. He connected with people. And guess what? He went right through that course to the end of the 10 weeks, and guess what happened? He didn't become a Christian. And he said to me, he said, Paul, Listen, could I come back and do another one? And I said, sure you can. He said, could I be a helper in the group? And I said, well, you're an atheist, George. How's that going to work? You know, it's sort of, it, it, you kind of have to be a Christian. And he said, well, I'm going to bring four friends. I said, okay, you can be a helper then. <laughs> no problem. And he was the first atheist helper we had in Alpha course. He was the greatest evangelist we ever had. Fantastic. Kept saying to people, you, you need to believe this. This is incredible. Went right through. The four friends came to Jesus, and he didn't. He was a tough nut, I'm telling you. But he finally cracked after the, after the fourth one. 
What happened? He went on a journey. I said, when did you finally, when did the penny finally drop? He says, I don't, actually, I don't know, Paul. It might have been the third one. It might have been the fourth one. But I know where I am now. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Died on the cross for my sins, and he rose again. Number four, and this is, a, this is an interesting one, I think. The sheep got lost through a miscalculation. The sheep got lost through a miscalculation. What do I mean? Well, it calculated, if sheep can calculate anything, that the outcome of its choices would be one thing, but they turned out to be another. It was a disaster because they got lost. I found in life, talking to certainly folks on a ship and folks in the club, the football club, the soccer, we call it football, uh, the football club, you know, that um, one little thing can change the direction of someone's life. One little thing can switch them around and it can become a disaster. And the problem is that some people simply, particularly Christians, stand aside and go, you need to do better. You need to pull your socks up. You need to get your life together. And, and actually, it's a, it's a very interesting one because, because sometimes we want to correct people before we connect with them. I, I, lots of stories in our own country, but... I heard one quite recently, it was a young man on the radio and, and uh, he'd, he'd, uh, he'd been in prison for seven years and, uh, they, and he, was, he wanted to talk about it and he said, well, what happened was, he said, I was walking down the street one day on my way to work and I, I, a fellow I'd been to school with gave me a brown paper bag and he said, would you keep that for me? And he said, I knew I shouldn't do it, but I took it anyway. And unknown to him, there was a gun in it. And when he came home from work that, he, went, he ran back to the house and put it, put it under his pillow. And when he came back from the, uh, work that afternoon, the army were waiting for him. And he got arrested and he got seven years. One simple thing changed the direction of his life. My, uh, my mother, uh, she's with the Lord now, but she... At the age of 16, she had a, a little boy out of marriage. 1945 in Ireland. It was a difficult time. And if, if my half-brother was here today, uh, you would think, how are they related in any way? He's two feet smaller than me. He's got brown eyes and red hair. Completely different, but he's, he's my brother. But my mom never got over that. My mom struggled with that all of her life. And you know something that happened too? Because people kept reminding her about it. I, I suppose what I'm trying to say is this. Let's be careful that in our preaching of Christian values, which we want to be clear on, we do not undermine the grace of God for people's lives. Because actually preaching morality to people, tell them to get a better life without preaching, without talking about grace and mercy in their life, undermines what God wants to do. They somehow feel they have to pull themselves up and get themselves better and clean themselves up before they can actually come to Christ. That's not true. You come as you are. You come as you are. 
And the problem was that in the struggle for morality in the first century, there actually were a group of people who stood alone for, for family values and, and for, for, uh, for marriage, uh, monogamy and marriage, and, and who stood against the, the polyistic uh, gods of the Romans. They were the Pharisees. The problem was that the people who were right actually were least responsive to the message of Jesus. And, and it seemed to be that their rightness rendered them incapable of loving the people who were wrong. Hence the two groups of people. They're the outsiders and they're the insiders. And so there's something who went, you know, don't do this, don't do that. I, you know, Jesus did that to phony religious people. But to other people, he took them out for a meal and told them of what they could become under God. People make silly mistakes and compound it by their actions. Let's not add to it by our condemnation. Let's love them and remind them who God has created them to be. Number five, to be considered lost must mean the lost item is valuable. I've discovered that, that the interesting thing is that, that when you dispose of something, it's generally, generally not valuable. Most people have no idea how valuable they are to God. Most people have no sense that there is a God who loves them and wants to, to enter their life, forgive their sins, and set them in a new direction. Uh, when I was a young man, I, I went to the Methodist City Mission in Belfast to preach. And what they did was uh, once a week, they would have all the street people that they could get in. And if they listened to a short talk, they got soup and sandwiches. Uh, they called it something else, but I won't repeat that here. And, uh, and so uh, the young man who was the Methodist minister, I had been to school with him actually, uh, and they invited me to speak. And as I saw these men, who were, they were all men and they're homeless. And they, you know, they didn't look good, they weren't, didn't smell so good. And so as a young man, full of self-righteousness, I preached to them, told them about hell and judgment. It felt very satisfying. And after it was over, the minister, Donald Kerr, said to me, Paul, thanks for coming tonight and sharing. He said, now, there is just one thing. When somebody says that to you, there's a stinger coming, okay? And he said, there is just one thing, Paul. The men that you spoke to actually know that they are outcasts, that they feel worthless, they feel valueless, they feel as if their life's a mess. But the one thing they don't know is that there's a God who loves them and died to save them. But thanks for coming anyway, Paul. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange one, to be honest with you. Let me do a little illustration. It's hard with plastic money, but I'll do my best. And it just is to make a simple point. I've got two $5 bills here. One of them is pristine. The other is wrinkled and crumpled that I've been trying to crumple it all night. Which one is, a, is of greater value? You see, they're, they're both the same, aren't they? Because their worth is determined by, I suppose, the Central Bank of Canada. Now, it may only be worth 10 cents in American money, but there you go. <laughs> oh, that was, that was mean, wasn't it? That was a mean one. But yeah, you, you, get the, you get the point, don't you? You see, the value of a human being is not based on where they've been, but on the one who made them. 
And as I come to a close, when you're lost, it's difficult to trust a stranger. When you're lost, it's difficult to trust a stranger. Remember the days before Google Maps, you used to have to stop and ask people the way? Is it a man thing? But I would rather drive around for an hour being lost than ask somebody the way. You know, Priscilla would go, Paul, stop, ask that person there. i go, no, they're too old. They wouldn't, no, don't be so silly. <laughs> then I'd drive on, but she'd say, what about that person there? I'd say, no, no, they're too fat. They would never know. How, how, would, they, how would they ever know the way, you know? And, and, and so, you know, you, you find that. But because when you're lost, actually what you do is you, you go to someone that you know and you trust. Right. But the, the problem, one of the problems, I discovered this with particularly the boys, you know, and the, they, they don't know any Christians. But they do now. And honestly, for most of them, I haven't said one word about faith to them. But you know what? I show up all the time. As that famous theologian Woody Allen once said, 80, 80% of success is just showing up. I just show up. I go to training. I have breakfast. I go to training with them. I don't train with them, by the way. I watch them training. And then I go to lunch with them, and I take them out for coffee, and we talk about everything under the sun. But you know something? A couple of weeks ago, I got a call from one of the boys. He said, he said Paul, I'm suffering some anxiety issues. You look like a man of peace, who's got peace. Could I talk to you? Halfway through the conversation as we had coffee, what does he say to me? Paul, how would you know you're a Christian? Boom. Why? Because he went to somebody he trusted. I want to finish my mother's story. My mom um, was so broken when my parents split up. Uh, she didn't come to my baptism. I was terrible with her, self-righteous. I used to put notes under her pillow. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Be sure your sin will, sa- will find you out. Really helpful things, you know, that, that are really good. And she smoked uh, menthol cigarettes, and I, I once wrote a little note and put it down one of the cigarettes, and when she took it out, she'd find it, and it said, and the wicked shall be cast into the lake of fire. Oh, that really blessed her. She loved that one. <laughs> and then one, one day, one day, she came up to my house, and uh, she said, Paul, I've made a bit of a mess in my life, and I need Jesus. And we led her to Christ, and she got baptized three weeks later and served the Lord until she went to be with her Savior. Fantastic. I remember she said to me, uh, after she'd come to Christ, I said to her mom, being, you know, when I first got saved, she said to me, I said to her, I've been saved 100 days, and she said, I know I've had 100 sermons. I was so self-righteous. So self-righteous. But people go to people they trust. Is there anybody who doesn't know Jesus could trust you enough to go and say, I've got a problem, I need a bit of help here. And number seven, as I finish, is this one. When you're lost, directions are always confusing. Do you ever find that? You know, if you, if you ask someone the way, we, we, we've obviously been in a city we don't know, and you ask someone where to go, and they go, well, you just go straight down there at the second set of traffic lights. I wonder, is it the third? No, 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 I think it's, I think it's, I think it's possibly definitely the second, okay? And you get to the second, and you take a left, okay? Now, just as you go down there, about 100 yards, you'll find a grocery store. You, you, it's down there, okay? And then you go past that, and then there's a roundabout. You take the third turning on the roundabout. There's a gas station, and then up to the, front, up to the side, there's a, there's a school. And then what you're looking for is just about a mile up the road. And then they always go, you couldn't miss it. You <laughs> know, I mean, I, I was lost at the second light. Is it the second or third? I don't know what I'm doing here. 
And what would you do is people assume you know more than you do. Here, here's what I found today. When, I, when I've been with the lads, I, I, I assume they know, know more than they do. They haven't a clue. So my point is this. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Please, because you haven't got a degree in theology, actually it doesn't matter. Could you tell someone that God loves them? Could you, when they express a need, pray for them? I want to get my hair cut uh, about a, a, a while. Uh, and uh, it doesn't take long. It's the shortest cut she, she does. And uh, I used to, Priscilla used to do it uh, with clippers. And it was horrible. She stabbed. She used to stab me with them. Honestly, she, in doing my eyebrows, she cut my eye one day. So I said, I'm not going back to you. So I go to somebody called Donna. And I came in one day to get my hair cut. And she said, she was crying. She got a sore shoulder. And she knows I'm a Christian. Because she tells me everything about her life. And I said, I felt the Lord said to me, why don't you pray for her? And I went, do I have to? Do I have to? <laughs> and and, and I, just, I said, Lord, if there's, if there's nobody in the shop when I go to pay, I'll pray for her. So, of course, I go to pray, there's nobody in the shop. And I said, Donna, can I pray for you? She took a step back and she said, oh, well, well, well say a little, say a wee, see, we call it we, pray, say a wee prayer for me. And I said, no, I'll do it right now. And she sort of stood, you know, and there's no, you know, you want somebody playing the keyboards in the background when you're praying for people, don't you? you know, just as I. Anyway, she's a, so she just keeps her eyes open and I keep my open. I said, can I touch your shoulder? Yeah, sure, touch your shoulder. And then she goes, I said, Donna, I said, you think that all the stuff that goes on in your life is because you've done something wrong and God's mad and he's getting even. But God's not disillusioned with you because he had no illusions to begin with. And he loves you. And he's got a plan for your life. And then I prayed for her shoulder. Why did she let me do that? Because there was somebody I knew, exactly. And I kept it simple. I kept it, but I kept the door open for the next conversation. Keep it simple. People don't know anything. And my challenge today is this. It's twofold. Number one, if everybody in this room took, let's say, two or three people in your heart and mind, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit in a moment just to reveal them to you. And over the next year, take them on a journey. Take them on a journey. A journey of believing and, and show them how to become, show them what a believer is really like. And if you, if you don't feel adequate in, in presenting Christ to them a gospel, invite them to church, but don't invite them, bring them. Right. But connect with them and take them on this incredible journey together. And you know something? You, may be, you might be surprised at what God will do. Right. Why don't we stand together? But there might be somebody who's watching this online or in the room today, and actually you've never said Jesus, never said yes to Jesus. You've never begun, I don't know where you are on that scale or that journey, but you've never actually begun a journey. And actually, wouldn't it be incredible if you said, you know something, like my atheist friend, you know, when I, 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 he said to me, I, I'm, the, I'm the greatest atheist in the world, and you've never actually begun. Our challenge is this, well, why don't you open up your mind? Why don't you open up your heart and take the first step and say, actually, I'm going to say, I'm going to try and discover who Jesus really is. You might be in that today. Or actually, this might be the moment when you you just say, you know something, I want to say yes to Jesus Christ today.
And all around this building, could I ask you to do something? Because I, 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 we always say this, you know, when you respond in some way in a church service, it's, it's, it's personal, but it's not private. Salvation's never private, but it's personal. So why, why don't we close our eyes, okay? If you can maintain your balance and close your eyes, please do that. People aren't looking. But if, you say, if you've said yes to Jesus, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer in a moment. But if you say, I'm gonna take that journey, would you put your hand up just to express, okay, you know something, I'm gonna do that. And wherever you are, would you put your hand up and give us an indication that God's doing something? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, you may, we're going to pray it all together. We're going to say this all together. So we're not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. But we're going to say something like this. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you gave your life for me. Thank you that you gave your life for me. Thank you that you rose again. Thank you that you rose again. And I say yes to you today. And I say yes to you today. I invite you into my life. I invite you into my life. And when I do that in sincerity and in my heart, and when I do that in sincerity and in my heart, I step from darkness to light. I step from darkness to light. And I am a child of God. And I am a child of God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Wasn't that a wonderful message? I'm never going to look at that passage about the lost sheep the same again. And, And I was so grateful that that uh, he got something out of having that hairdresser, Donna, because whatever you're paying for that hairdo, it's too much. (laughs) It's funny how God uses every little thing, isn't it? And anyway, that was just wonderful. And I really want to challenge you today to take that challenge, to take those two or three people on a journey. How many of you would be willing to do that? Take two or three people on a journey this year this year to pray for them, get them to belong, to eventually, you know, having that conversation, bringing them to church. How many? Let me see your hands again. 